0: And it's one of my favorite, of course, favorite times of the year, favorite uh, Sunday of the year, uh, hardest, hardest sermon to prepare, even though you know what you're going to talk about, because you don't feel you can do it justice. So anyway, I want to um, just thank all the teams that have went into making this weekend special so far. Uh, Sunday, or sorry, Friday morning, we had a great service at East Village downtown, Pastor Steve shared a great message. The worship team did excellent. And uh, then the stations of the cross and the Friday it up, and the drive in movie thing. And this morning, Pastor Fenn war- warming it up for me, uh, us, for all of us. And uh, these next few services. Next service goes live, our first time going live. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment uh, for the team. And of course, uh, you notice not only um, is uh, this a new morning, but it's a new look. We got the cross central, and we lost the screen, but we gained a cross. <laughs> I think that's excellent. Um, yeah, we live uh, in such an interesting time. We don't live in a, a non-biblical culture. We live in an anti-biblical culture. There's hostility towards the Word of God. It's like the first challenge that took place in the garden, Hath God Said?, And we need to be the people of the word who are not just talking about it, but who are living the word of God. It's a very different uh, world than I was raised in. Um, If you were to gather together as a family and smoke marijuana, charge for gathering as a family. It's just the weirdest time, and I, um, I just want to. I'm message I want to share this morning, is called the prophetic calendar. I wanted to title it "You Can't Keep a Good Man Down," but I preach that one every year for the last number of years. So I'm calling it the prophetic calendar. I'm taking my text from Leviticus chapter 23. This is a very odd, sort of um, uh, Easter story, but um, the um, the the children of Israel were given a prophetic calendar and many of us would like to know what the future holds because if you can predict the future, you can change your behavior. If you can actually predict behavior, you can anticipate the future. Um, when I was growing up, we had a little eight ball, uh, bless mom. Bless mom and the, and you'd ask it a question and turn it upside down. I don't know if any has ever seen that little anybody see that? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of a weird thing, you know. Uh and then you you turn it upside down and ask it a question and uh, an answer would float to the top. It was just a interesting thing. Um, I was thinking of all the um different things about predicting the future, the of course, the Nazis tried to make a time machine, uh, same with uh, Doc Brown and uh, Marty McFly, <laughs> the DeLorean time machine. <laughs> but this, this fascination with the future is something that, um, that we all have, uh, I think. And God gave the children of Israel a prophetic calendar where they'd be able to anticipate the future. And it laid it out very clearly. And Jesus would remind his disciples over and over and over again, "Here's what's going to happen." And right up until the cross, they didn't quite get it. Um, and we've just been we've just been reading or watching the chosen again, and and you see all these little the spaces in between the events. And uh, of course, most of us, it's so hard to anticipate. What what, what was that like? And. Um, but we do know that the disciples were a little bit dull. I want you to turn to Matthew or Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> um, I read a post this week, uh, a blog post. How do you prepare for the future when adults act like teenagers? <laughs> Having isolation measures that are imposed on us actually accentuates or elevates the amount of selfishness uh, that we experience. Selfishness will divide a marriage. Selfishness will divide a church. Selfishness will divide a nation. And we see levels of selfishness that, we have not, that I have not seen before uh, in my lifetime. And, But when we come to Easter, we realize the most unselfish event that ever took place in the history of the world took place at Easter time. One man would give his life for millions of others. It was was an act of ultimate uh, sacrifice. One perfect life for millions of imperfect lives. And right after the resurrection, Jesus is walking to uh, Emmaus with a a few people. Uh, Pastor Fenn preached well on that this morning, I'm sure. In verse 44, I find um, this quite interesting though. Um, He says, uh, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me by Moses, the prophets, and in the Psalms must all come true. This was, was not a surprise, because he, he laid it out very clearly, all through the Old Testament. He laid out, a, and in, through the Mo, Moses, first five books of the Bible, right, that were dictated, the prophets, and the Psalms, it must all come true, then he opened their minds to understand These many scriptures, our minds need to be open to understand not just one, but the many, many, many scriptures about what he would, who he would be, what he would be like, how he would act, and uh, what would take place. It was very clear, and he put it through all through the scriptures. So this is why we need to be people of the word. Uh, Not just to know what took place then, but what's about to take place in our future, because that was all clearly laid out. Uh, in scripture, in, in, and, in, and I was reading through a lot of these scriptures um, this week. John chapter 20, um, in verse um, 1 to 9, early Sunday, early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, the author of this book, this gospel. <laughs> Yeah, selfishness didn't begin in the 21st century. Uh, Jesus, or sorry, she said they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciples ran to the tomb. The, the other disciple outran Peter and got there first. What such an interesting. I have a little smiley face beside that. Uh, John outran him, uh, and he he makes a point of that. This is just hilarious. He stopped and looked linen wrapping line, cloth lying there, but he didn't go in and then Simon arrived and, went, and he went in and he also noticed the linen wrapping lying there while well, the cloth that was covering Jesus' head was folded up lying beside him. The other disciple went in, he saw and he believed. For until then, they hadn't realized that the scriptures said he would rise from the dead. Then they went home. So, they, so it wasn't until that moment that they realized, ah, oh, he said he was gonna rise again. Up until that point, of course, you would have been able to, Pinpoint exactly what was taking place if they would listen to the story. But it was up until this point, all of a sudden. So, for us who think we can anticipate the future, honestly, the best way is to trust that the Lord holds the future, and then we'll be able to look back and say, Oh, that's what that was going on right there. As we're students of the Word, though, we can just understand that. <clears throat> but, but we do live in an anti biblical culture. Um, if you want to know, so I'm, I've titled this message The Prophetic Calendar. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's interesting <clears throat> if you're interested in a world of be- that study how the current calendar came to place it was during the time of Julius Caesar that it, the calendar was so whacked out during that time they actually had to add they had to, he had to hire an astronomer and at, when he hired the astronomer he had to actually add three more months to the calendar at that time <laughs> it was odd and later on uh, in the 16th century uh, Pope uh, Gregory, um, had to adjust the calendar. He said, it's just we can't quite figure out what's going on here. It's all off. And and uh, so they had to uh, add three weeks to the calendar. It was, it was in September. Um, turned out that, that George Washington wasn't able to celebrate his birthday uh, that year. It was either the 12th or the 21st. Nobody really knew because a calendar was not accurate yet. Now, how did people before the Julian calendar, how did they ever figure out what to do. Well, we're told that as long as there's going to be day and night, there's going to be season sowing and reaping. God said there's going to be a calendar if you just watch. And so they were told to live a certain way. And um, they'd live, you know, when the sun went down, they'd go to bed naturally until televisions came out and Facebook and everything now they but, but you were able to figure out what was going on. If I, can, I can take a current calendar, and I can look forward to July the 1st, and I know it's going to be on a Thursday. I can look ahead and see on July and say, what, I know where Christmas is going to be. But I can't look ahead and say what's going to happen on July the 1st or December 25th. Not really, because I don't really know what's going to happen between now and then. I don't really know. But the Lord gave them a calendar where they could predict and know what was ahead, and they could prepare for it. I want to talk about that prophetic calendar. I'm going to scoot through that, and then get into the resurrection, um, because 23, and that's kind of where I'm taking my other text today, um, because He appointed specific uh, festivals or feasts, and this has become um, interesting. More and more interesting to me, as I look back on, on my specific life, here's what the resurrection reminds us, that God is absolutely, completely faithful. And, and it also reminds us of that power uh, that we can live by called resurrection power. It reminds us of that. So when, you, when, when those of us who shared the C- Seder meal this year we went through, the. it's like an elongated story, and I think it's one of the best ways to um, help children remember significant events. Tell a story. If you want to help your kids remember specific things, do an illustrated story about it. Uh, build traditions around it. Having hot cross case, we build uh, in food, of course. That helps them remind, uh, and having hot cross buns in the house, warm hot cross buns. <laughs> Warm, hot cross buns with butter melting. <laughs> but you build festivals or you build, sorry, you build um, events and you tell stories and you build tradition. And every year, and pretty soon, kids, you'll find that the kids will start to anticipate what's going to happen. Oh, it's Christmas time. Here's what we do at Christmas. It's Easter time. Here's what we get at Easter celebration. You look back and you're able to anticipate uh, what's going to happen ahead in terms of celebration because you have certain traditions. Tradition! So with the, um, with the Seder meal, there's a part in the meal because it's the story, it's the first feast they are told to remember. It's called the Passover. It's about deliverance. I think it's important at those times we tell kids of our personal, our children about our personal deliverance. Uh, he, it, and, and during the story, it's about the coming of the Savior and that he would rise again in that story. There's a part where we take the matzo and we put it between a linen cloth. And the Greek word for that um, matzah that's between the linen cloth cloth, is called the afikomen, And it means that which comes last or he will come again. We're reminding the kids of the story that Jesus came and he will come again. And this one between this linen cloth and those of us who are on this side of the resurrection know what that meant. We know that story. But we're to tell our stories. We're actually commanded to tell those stories to our children. We're commanded to. And, um, and why? So that our kids wouldn't forget. They were, the, the, the children of Israel were told to tell them the story because the kids hadn't seen the miracle. Parents had the receive parting or coming out of Egypt. They had not seen that. So the parents had the responsibility of reminding them of the deliverance that took place and don't be entangled again in those yokes of bondage. It's a picture of coming out of bondage and coming into the place of promise. Um, The the children of Israel were meant to be a very specific type of people. It wasn't because what they had done, but because they were specifically chosen. And do you know that you and I are chosen? And because we're chosen, we're to live and act and talk a specific way. We're meant to be those who reflect the character of our Father. This This is our responsibility. The children of Israel... They were to be a celebrating people. They were to be a worshiping people. And they were to be a people. When we look at uh, both Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy uh, chapter 12, we see this story where he says, I need you to do these. I want you to consider these times of feasting. And uh, I want you to live a certain way and do certain things. Uh, It's so interesting. He says that... um, that, that what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to actually be a trusting people. We're supposed to take a tenth of our income, they call it a tithe, and bring it to a certain place. It's, uh, the tithe is spoken about all through these two passages. Uh, and for some who think like 10% of your income is a lot, they actually are told not just that, but in every three years, you take another special tithe. And uh, you you'll look in verse, um, another 10%, chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, and uh, chapter 20, or verse 22 down, that the Lord. Set aside a tithe from your, um, your crops, a, t- a tenth of all the crops you harvest. Bring this tithe to a place that the Lord your God chooses for his name and to be honored. And then eat it there in his place. Bring in tithes. And then it says, take that money. And it actually says to, uh, when you arrive, use money to buy anything you want. Buy an ox, a sheep, some wine, or some beer. I didn't know that was in there. <laughs> I got a few chuckles, but not many amens. <clears throat> Just think about it. And there, there, then feast there in the presence of the Lord. How do you do that? It even says of David, he came and he sat before the Lord. How do you do that? He says, you have a heart that's a worshiping heart. You have a heart that's thankful. You have a heart that's grateful. And when you get together, you actually take something that you have and you give it as a reminder that you're trusting in the Lord's provision and you give one day. Not only set aside 10%, he says, set aside a day a week. One day a week. It's holy. Sabbath. Shabbat. And then he says, actually, every seven years, set aside one whole year. Why? Because you're a trusting people. And then every 50 years, which was an economic reset, so that the rich couldn't exploit the poor, Every all the debts get paid, all the slaves go back, it was a reset. And every 50 years, I want you to show that you trust me with all of your servants and all of your land. And for, for, at, on that 50th year is called the year of Jubilee. Why? Because you're a trusting people. We were to do things that exemplified our trust in who God is for us. What am I getting at? I'm getting at, we talk about the cross and we talk about the, the original, the first lockdown. They couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are we meant to do? We're meant to be reminded through these, these different feasts and we're reminded on Easter to remember that he is faithful and we can trust him. Now intuitively, I know that can be a little bit challenging because in our hearts we're not sure, but this was the picture of us. So he set aside, this is a little history lesson, just going to give you a quick point. There there was going to be feasts and they were a calendar for celebrating. So when we think, don't just think of following Jesus as fasting, it's also about feasting. And he had seven feasts and those feasts were actually a clock. A clock. And, and we're told that in the spring of the year, uh, give, the, give them this, this instruction. Um, let me get it exactly right here. In this instruction, uh, t- uh, in honor of the Lord your God, celebrate the Passover at the proper time in early spring. So every spring, when spring came around, he says, I want you to gather and tell the story about how they've been delivered. Because the people he was telling it to had not had that experience firsthand. A testimony is powerful, really powerful. <clears throat> and so it's a picture, it's, it's gonna be a picture of what's gonna happen for you and I. So he says, do this, do this every spring, honor the Lord, early spring, for that was when the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Your Passover sacrifice might be from either the flock or the herd or it must be sacrificed to the Lord your God at the place he chooses for his name to be honored. Eat the bread made without yeast. And then for seven days, Eat only bread without yeast. And then the next one, so the Passover, uh, most of you understand, the Passover was the firstborn male, be a male lamb without spot or blemish. And he was to be sacrificed. His blood was to be, bad example, I know, maybe, but sacrificed. Right? For what? Because it's because of that that you would be able, the father, the leader in the home would take that blood now by faith. And I don't know if you ever thought about what the father must be thinking when he's dipping his broom or grass or, and he's going like this. If I were that, I'd be saying, Lord, you better come through. Like It's my family. The firstborn would be given and now the firstborn would not be taken. Anybody firstborn? Be a little more thankful. I see that hand. <laughs> I know. If you're a firstborn... See that hand too. <laughs> so the, here's what the father would do. He would take the blood. This is what they're told to do. And he said, Don't quit thinking about this. Take the blood, apply it to the lintels, and the door pose. What an act of faith. Seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? But he said, if you'll trust me, I'll preserve the entire family. I'll actually preserve the entire race. Because you're chosen. We're still to do that today, not literally, but figuratively. Very nervous laugh. I know, because we have a petting zoo out here. <laughs> now, I know. But this was what he So any, can you see any similarities be taking the blood of a blameless lamb taking that blood and applying it to the doorposts. Now we put it to the doorpost of our heart. A lamb was slain. From the foundation of the earth, it's a picture of what you and I get to enjoy now, our freedom in Christ where we've been set free. Don't quit t- talking about the story. My parents never told me the story. Bless them. It's, I hardly can figure it out. It's a bit complicated. But he said, when you tell the story, your kids will remember it. Don't let them forget that we've been delivered as chosen people. And then he says, then this, this blood now, to reject the blood would be to accept judgment or death. That's what it would be. There's no such thing as indecision. Not in the spiritual economy. To not decide is to decide. We get a a decision in a moment. Are we going to accept what he's done for us or not? To not is still a decision to accept judgment and death. But he would that none should perish. The next uh, uh, feast was to be unleavened bread. For seven days following, everybody ate unleavened bread. It's in Leviticus 23. I usually scoop pretty quick through Leviticus, but this year I went a little bit slower. The Festival of the Unleavened Bread now begins for seven days. Eat unleavened bread. And then the next one was called the Feast of the First Fruits. This is a picture of when Christ rises from the dead. So, so you need to be into the <clears throat> feast, into the story. Then, then, then give these instructions to the Israelite when they arrive in the land that I'm going to give you and you harvest the fruit. It's Feast of the First Fruits. The next was, a, was the, the Feast of the Harvest or the Pentecost. This was the birth of the church. They, they'd be able to actually, every year when they're eating, they, they'd be able to take a moment and go, I wonder what's ahead because it's a picture of what's still to come. Pentecost is going to be a birth, the birthing of the church. And then there was going to be, this was the, the spirit couldn't come until Jesus died and was raised again. Once the spirit comes, you now have power to live the life of a follower of Christ. Without the power, he said, don't go do anything dumb. Wait here till you get the power. Without the power, you cannot live the Christian life. (laughs) On your own, that's called religion, it'll kill you. But with his power, we can live a new life. With his power, we can understand how the resurrection life works, but what comes first is the the blood. (laughs) What comes first is the cross. What comes first, here's what Easter deals with. Every form of loss and disappointment and every particle of death and every form of depression and every form of discouragement and every form of loss is dealt with in the resurrection. But first comes the crucifixion. We have to die to some things before we're risen to some things. The last, the the next one was called the trumpets. As a gathered people, they were called to do stuff, called together, called to war, called to make announcements. That's actually what it says. Announcements must be anointed. I've never found them such. But then there was a day of atonement for forgiveness that was fulfilled in the cross. Hebrews chapter nine says, "Once for all, put away by the uh, sin, by the sacrifice, and lastly was the tabernacles, which was about the joy of the Lord." Which means we're going to enter in a brand new place of joy and fulfillment when He comes again. For one thousand years, He will reign in righteousness on this earth. He's on. He's coming. Are you ready? He's coming. The cross and the Lamb, Colossians 1 verse 14, in whom we have redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of sin once and for all. There's a powerful statement right there. I, I run into lots of theology that says once you sin, you've lost your salvation. He you can't go back and sew up the veil every time we fail. It was ripped, it's still ripped. You have access because of what he's done, not what you do. But we believe in what he did so we can enjoy the benefits of what he did. This is good news. All I need to do is believe. Uh, Jesus in chapter 10, and it's my last two points. John chapter 10, he said, the thief's purpose Is to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you could have zoe, a quality of life. I've come that you could have life. This is my purpose. He said he was both the lamb and the shepherd. Simeon came to the Passover and he was planning on sacrificing a lamb for the Passover. He ended up meeting the lamb and carrying his cross. Jesus says this, my purpose is to give my life in all of its fullness. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know me, just my father knows me. And he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, uh, not of this full, uh, sheepfold. I must bring them and they will listen to my voice. The father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it back up again. Nobody can take my life from me. The Romans didn't take his life. <laughs> I lay down my life voluntarily for I have the right to lay it down. No one can take my life from me, for I have the right to lay it down. In Psalm 22, and verse 16, uh, 10 centuries before this happened, it begins off by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 10 centuries before it happened. What were the words of Jesus on the cross? Haven't you read about me in the Psalms? You read Psalm 22, it says, not one, not one of his bones Was broken. He he says they have pierced me. This understand this is uh, 800 years before Rome even came to power and even instituted or had the idea of crucifixion. He was already anticipating what was going to take place. Um, They have they they would that they would pierce the hands. John John said the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And at exactly the time when the evening sacrifice was going to be given, at exactly that time at three o'clock. The lamb of God breathed his last. As they were sacrificing the spotless lamb. Can you see a picture? At exactly at the evening sacrifice, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. That's when he said, where oh, he gave up his spirit. Um, more than a sacrificial death, because sometimes we think we're saved because of the life of Christ. We're not. We're saved because of his substitutionary death. Yeah, let's learn to live like him and walk like him. But we are saved because of what he did for us. It's not his example. It's his substitutionary death for you and I. Easter. He says, I've written of these things long ago. My authority, with my authority, now go take this message for the forgiveness of sin. Um, the finished work of Christ and here's my last point, but just before the band comes, give me a minute. Um, <clears throat> religion is, is always crouching at the door of a follower of Christ. Fear and obligation. I don't know how many times I had to kick that sucker out of my life. I think I need to do a little bit more, try a little bit harder. That's always crouching at our door. Religion. <clears throat> it's not that life is tough. I know what Scott Peck said, life's tough, deal with it. The question is, or the point is, that, we have, that he overcame life so we could overcome. <clears throat> the quality of life that God possesses, the Zoe life, you and I get to enjoy. It's not be a good little boy so bad things don't happen. It's that John, uh, Galatians 3.13, he absorbed every curse Not just sin, but the consequence of every sin. He absorbed all of that in his body. I listened to part of a podcast this week where it says, why did Jesus die first? Because of the weight of sin. Didn't have to break his legs. He broke the other two's legs. Didn't have to break his legs. Because of the weight of sin on him. So that you could not, would not have to carry the weight of sin and guilt and shame in your life. Ephesians one verse nineteen. I pray you begin to understand the incredible greatness of the power of His power for you who believe. And then listen to this from Zechariah. What a profound perspective! And it's also in John chapter nineteen. It says, "They will look on Him who they pierced." When those Romans, it, we will look when we set our gaze on Christ. You you need to also include in that that He is the one that we pierced. When I receive communion I usually say this, on the night that I betrayed Christ. It's a substitutionary death. <clears throat> Easter lets us sigh from all of the shortcomings, and all of the failures and breathe in new life. He's faithful to forgive and to restore and he said this, it is finished. Tetelestai. Tetelestai was a phrase that was used by a servant when he finished a job. It's kind of like saying, took out the garbage, Mom. Tetalestai. Job's done. His job's done. Now it's our choice. Are we going to believe into the full experience of Christ today and enjoy the benefits of what he has done for us? Tetalestai also means, it was an accounting term, that means the debt has been paid. And there's one more term where totalistai is used is when they went through the flock and they'd find that one lamb that was without without spot. The perfect lamb. And once they found the right lamb they'd say totalistai. Here's the one. There's there's only one name by which we can be saved. Totalistai. Easter reminds those of us who have failed that there's a second chance for real. The promise of new light. Easter deals with the darkest of emotions and the most dangerous fears. It deals with the loss of life, dreams, hopes, and it says, whatever you can do, just rest from that and believe into what I have done and my, because my burden is easy and light. Is life heavy for you? Emotionally, socially? You're probably not gonna change the government, but what we can do is change how we relate. If he can't forgive my sin before I commit it, then I can't be saved because I hadn't committed any sin when he gave his life. Easter deals with the darkness of Friday the weight of Saturday and the hope of Sunday people if Jesus didn't rise from the dead somebody has a lot of explaining to do because we are people that live with incredible hope you are intelligent people you gather here this morning to hear about a man who was raised from the dead Tell your family. We used to sing a song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And life is living because I know he lives. I am co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with Christ. Easter deals with the death, burial, and resurrection life. It deals with every form of chaos, every form of crisis, every form of confusion that you'll ever face in your life. Not just this past week's disappointment, but every disappointment and every discouragement that you'll ever face if you accept the hope, the offer of hope. Easter deals with darkness because he offered light. It deals with death because he offers life. It deals with every shattered dream, every battered home and every scattered loved one. Easter deals with every dead end and opens a brand new door. It deals with every negative emotion. And psychologists will tell you, you have 30,000 different thoughts a day and 70% of them are negative. It deals with every one of those. What's that number? 23,000 negative thoughts. It deals with every one. It deals with mankind and its ability to damage, disgrace, demean, the prejudice and the pain that others inflict upon us. It deals with the mystery of the unknown, which is our greatest fear and invites us to trust. It deals with the future and all of its mystery because it anticipated the worst and welcomes tomorrow nonetheless. It anticipates every eventuality and every form of chaos and every enemy that you'll ever face because Jesus said this, I am both the resurrection and I am the new life. Stand with me as we give thanks to the one who gave his life that we could have new life. Father, today, I thank you for the supernatural resurrection that we can celebrate life over death, light over darkness. God, I thank you today that as I believe and I accept what you have done, I can accept tomorrow's pain, tomorrow's confusion, because you offered hope when you rolled that stone away. Please pray for this with me because there's no such thing as indecision. Pray this in your heart. Jesus, I believe God raised you from the dead, conquered all curses and everything that stood against me. Today I am in you and I am one with you and all that is yours is mine. I allow you to bring me to the place of worship and rest and peace. Today you are my source, my beginning, and my end. Father, if there's one that doesn't know you today, I ask for the confidence that comes from your word. The stories that were based in reality that we can accept today. If you'd like to accept Christ as Savior just as you're sitting there right now, pray this prayer in your heart. Father, I believe that you died on the cross for me and you rose again that I could have new life. I accept you as my Savior today. I thank you for the power to see and hear and know the things you're doing and saying and teaching. Make me hungry for your word. Make me hungry for your way. I decide to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast, And check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.